0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today here at the Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ for the next sermon in our series, Back to the Start, A Study of the Gospel. We've been having an interesting time in the Smith household recently. Uh, Nish and I are both working full-time, and our boys Zeke and Jed, uh, ages 14 and 10, have been staying at home a lot of the day, and they've been doing a great job. Uh, taking care of themselves, taking care of the dogs, helping out with a lot of things. But there's just one issue that we've had to deal with. My boys have a different idea of what it means for things to be clean than the idea that I have of what it means to be clean. Now, I know that some of you are laughing and saying, well, Bryce, you know, a lot of people don't have the same idea as clean as you do, and you can just shut your face. Let's talk about my boys. Uh, So one of the things we've been having them do is clean up after themselves, you know, after they make lunch, after they have dinner, uh, having them do dishes. But we've had this one thing happen over and over again. We'll tell them you have to wash all the dishes at the sink. And they'll go and they'll wash some of the dishes. And then they'll walk away thinking they're done. And so you walk over to the sink then and there are still dishes there. And it's like, guys, aren't you supposed to have finished all of this? Oh, Oh, I thought I was done. And they come back and they clean it up. And sometimes we have to call them back a third or a fourth time just to finish the things that are already sitting there and to get them washed and clean. Now my boys, they would love for cleaning up the kitchen to consist of doing the amount of cleaning that they want to do and then stopping. But we're having to teach them what? That no, that's not actually what clean looks like. This is what clean looks like. So we've been talking about the Gospel, and we've been talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And in particular, over the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about the requirements of following Jesus. So we've talked about the act of giving up ourself. And we have to recognize that Jesus has great expectations of those who would follow him and call themselves Christians or call themselves disciples. And in some stories that are hard for us to wrap our minds around, Jesus said that some people are not worthy, are not fit, or cannot be his disciples because they are putting other things in front of him. And so Jesus makes it clear that you must follow him and him alone and anything else, no matter what it is, good, bad, blessing, or rebellion, it all has to take a back seat to your following of Jesus. We've also seen that when you become a disciple, you are called to leave everything behind for his sake. That you're going to have to make difficult decisions because you are going to find yourself in conflict with the world and those around you, sometimes even those that you love. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you will choose him in all of those places and times and situations. In short, As a disciple, you cannot have divided attention. Your attention has to be solely on your teacher and on the one you are following because if you are listening to any other voice than the voice of the one, then you are not really following the one. So the challenge that we've seen is to choose God over everything else if we are going to call ourselves people of the gospel and disciples of Jesus. And if you are not willing to do this, then you are not fit, not worthy, or cannot be his disciple. Now again, that's kind of a hard pill to swallow, and Jesus knows that. So he says to weigh the cost, to make sure that we are willing to pay what it will cost us to be a follower of his. And then last week, we looked at the fact that Jesus calls us to die, actually die, if we are going to be his disciples. He tells us that we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And for those who first heard these words, Jesus could not have said anything more disturbing or shocking. And it became even more disturbing and shocking as they saw Jesus himself go to the cross and die. For many of Jesus' first disciples, the decision to follow him was a decision to go to their deaths and to put themselves and a place of opposition against those who had the literal power to kill them. Now for us, this concept is hard to grasp because we are probably never going to find ourselves in a position where we are going to have to die for the sake of Jesus or for the sake of the gospel. In fact, instead of viewing death as a rite of passage and our becoming a disciple, we view death on for the part of Jesus as an injustice and that those who would suppress Christianity because or suppress Christians because of their faith are are, are tyrants and they must be stopped. But Jesus didn't live in that kind of world and his disciples didn't live in that kind of world. Jesus expected a real death and he still expects us to die because he knows that there is no resurrection without death. So he tells us that if we are going to be his disciples, we must put ourselves to death as if our next step was leading us to execution. And in putting ourselves to death, we will be able to live through him. So when I think about this series as a whole and everything I've That we've covered during this time. We started out talking about how the gospel is about God loving us and saving us, and we've we've talked about how Jesus came into a broken world. We've talked about how the gospel is a love story and how it changes lives. We've talked about how the gospel calls us to go out and speak against injustice, and then we've talked about how the gospel calls us to give up who we are and everything that God requires of us. And these last two weeks have been really heavy. And I think part of this, when we look at this as a whole, it's it's sometimes easy for us to wonder how these things fit together. I mean, if the gospel is good news, and it is uh, God's way of showing his love to us and accepting us and taking us, but then God also requires such great sacrifice from us, how do these things... Mixed together because it just seems like Jesus asks so much of us in all of these passages and we are more accustomed to the Jesus that gives and not the Jesus who takes we we like the Jesus from the first part of the gospel study and we're not totally sure what to do with this Jesus that comes in and talks about discipleship We love the Jesus who loves us and who forgives us and who empowers us and who in those words doesn't seem to ask so much of us but loves us as we are. But this Jesus with his call to discipleship is demanding and we're not always particularly comfortable with the kind of discipleship that he is calling us to. I mean, just the idea of giving up our dreams, our sense of identity, or allowing ourselves to be controlled by Jesus. These are all ideas that fly in the face of our cultural norms and values. And again, we're seeing this play out in so many different ways in our country. And there are many, there are many, who hear these words of Jesus and who might even hear what Jesus is calling them to give up and they are not willing to give him what he demands. They weigh the cost as Jesus has suggested they do and they do not believe that what they would gain is more valuable than what they would have to give up. And then you start to hear a question that has to be asked. If God loves me so much, If God gave me this life, if God gave me these things, then why is it that he wants to change me or wants me to give up this or that? Now, Jesus knows that for many, this challenge is going to be the case. He knows that many are going to struggle with his words. He knows that not everyone is going to be able to answer the call. And even though many will walk away, he does not make this call to be his follower any easier or more palatable. There have been many that have argued over time that if Jesus, and by extension God, really loved us, that he wouldn't make discipleship so demanding. And in fact, there are many that have argued that if God really loves us, that he would eliminate all of the the trouble and hardship and things that we face in our lives. And many of you have been there just as I have been there. We have pleaded with God to take something away, or we have pleaded with God to heal someone, or we have begged God for this, or for that, or for relief, or for something, and God hasn't answered those prayers in the way that we have wished that he would. And in the same way Jesus doesn't back off of this, these demands, even though he knows that some will walk away, because of what He is asking. Now, why is it that Jesus doesn't back down? Why is it that Jesus didn't just tell everyone that God loves you and you can come to Him as you are and and God will, will make your life better and will give you all these things? Number one, it's because Jesus knew And this is something that's hard for us to accept, that becoming his disciple in that place and time was not going to make anyone's life easier. In fact, it was going to make people's lives harder. But even so, Jesus believed, knew, Jesus knew that whoever gave up their life would gain so much more through him in God that what they would have to give up was, in fact, worth it. The sacrifices that you have to make, the things that you have to walk away from, he knows that if you knew what he knew and believed what he believed, that you would not have a problem becoming his disciple. Now, Jesus speaks to all of us in Matthew chapter 11, which is where we are going to be camped out today. So, from Matthew chapter 11 starting in verse 25 at that time jesus said i praise you father lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children yes father for this is what you were pleased to do all things have been committed to me by my father no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now a lot of times when we come to read this passage from Matthew chapter 11, we skip to the verses that follow these verses, and we are going to get to them in a moment. But these verses here are important in helping us to understand what Jesus has to say next okay so what is it that jesus says here he says a couple of things number one god is in a place of complete authority in other words god is god and god is god over all the universe and no matter what anyone says this is who he is but secondly god has given authority to jesus in fact If you want to know the Father, you must know the Son. If you want to know God, you must know Jesus. There is no way around this dynamic. But here's the thing. Not everyone is going to be able to see this or accept this. Only a certain kind of person Is going to recognize what it is that God was doing in Jesus and this kind of person is not really the kind of person that you would expect because Jesus says those who are children are going to be able to catch on to what God is doing in Jesus and they are going to be able to know God through Jesus but those who are wise and learned are not. Now the question that immediately comes to my mind of course is well why, why is it this way? Why is it that children and not the wiser learned are going to be the ones who are going to be able to catch on and, and this is interesting. Jesus isn't saying It's the stupid and foolish who are going to be able to understand what God is doing. That's not the message. Instead, he is saying that those who are children of God are going to be able to catch on, whereas those who are wise and learned will not. So Jesus is drawing a direct contrast here between two different kinds of people what we'll call the children, and what we'll call the wise and learned. Now, what is the defining characteristic of the wise and learned? Well, they've learned things, and they know things. Okay? It's fair. And because they have learned things and they know things, then how are they going to treat guidance or direction from God? Well, they're going to Weigh it against what they have learned and know. And if it makes sense for them or to them, then they will do it. But if God is asking them to do something different than what makes sense to them, they will struggle against it. Because they know they are wise and learned. But the children are different. The children are different because they are in a dependent relationship with God. So when God gives them direction, they don't have a problem taking on the leadership of God, following Jesus and being his disciple, because they recognize the work of their father. And it doesn't have to fit their idea of what the world is and what the world should be, of what they have learned and been taught by man. Instead, they can see the work of their father in Jesus, and they can follow him. And don't we see this just in the life of Jesus? The wise and the learned are, they challenge him as a teacher. They don't accept what it is that he says about the father. They they don't want to take on his leadership. They want to continue to be wise and learned, but it is those who... Those who want God as their father, who want God to call the shots, who want this act of restoration in Jesus, that see what God is doing and follow him. So we learn something from this. We learn that it is our our self-awareness that God is God and we are not. That we are dependent on him, that he is our father and we are his children. It is knowing all of this that becomes key to our ability to follow Jesus. So keep that in mind as we look at this next statement from Jesus, starting in verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, there are some important things that we need to pull from this passage. And first things first, what is a yoke? Well, this is a picture of a yoke. A yoke is a typically wooden device that was used to harness animals, often oxen, to a plow. The oxen would pull the plow and, farmer, and the farmer would stand behind the plow, guiding it and leading the oxen where he needed them to go. So when we look at this idea of the yoke, we have to ask ourselves, what is the understanding that Jesus has about this idea of a yoke and being burdened? And here is the first thing. Jesus understands that everyone is carrying a yoke. Everyone is burdened. Everyone is being driven and, to some degree, controlled and guided by something. Now, some people feel the weight of their burden. It makes them tired and weary. And if you listen to my introduction on Friday, you know how I feel about this. Others may not identify themselves as being burdened at all. Now there's, I guess, a logical question that we must ask here, and that's this. If someone doesn't feel like they are burdened, are they really, in fact, burdened? Okay, that's a fair question. But let me ask you this question in turn. If someone sins against God, but they don't know that they have sinned, or they don't believe in God, did they still sin against Him? Okay, well, the answer is yes. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sin and fall short of the glory of God. And he tells us in Romans chapter 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, as far as Jesus is concerned, everyone is burdened spiritually everyone is carrying the weight of their sin and therefore the weight of the consequences of that sin which is death now this is really important for us to grasp because some people believe that if they were to choose to follow jesus and become his disciple that they would be going from a state of freedom where they're really pretty happy with their lives, to a state of restriction, where they would have to make different choices and couldn't do all the things that they want to do. And they read the words of Jesus, and because they don't see themselves as burdened, they only view this transaction in terms of what they would have to give up and what they would have to stop doing. And honestly, as a church, we have made the error of communicating about this in such a way where it is about what they have to stop doing and it is about what they have to give up instead of the story being about what they will gain. Jesus knows that when you become his disciple you are not going from a place of freedom to slavery as some may believe Instead, what Jesus recognizes is this. You are exchanging one kind of burden for a very different kind of burden. So Jesus makes an appeal here to those who are weary and who know the burden that they are carrying. And he makes this appeal to them because he knows that they are the ones who are going to want to carry a different kind of burden. But we see a hard truth here, and that is that you cannot exchange one burden for the other if you don't believe you're burdened at all, because all you're going to think is you're putting on a burden where you had none. But Jesus knows the truth. Everyone is burdened. So what is it then that he is offering? Jesus is offering us the opportunity to exchange our heavy overbearing yoke for his. So again, it's not going even from a place of restriction to absolute freedom. It's going from a place of burden and restriction to freedom in Christ. You are exchanging one thing for another. Well, but Bryce, you're saying that we're still burdened. Yes and no. Why would we do this? Well, there are some very simple reasons. The first reason is, that we want to take up the yoke of Jesus is that Jesus says himself it is easy and it is light. In other words what Jesus is offering you is by its very nature better than whatever it is you are carrying. Jesus's yoke is easier to carry and it's lighter than what you have been carrying before. And again this does not sink into us unless we realize how heavy our yoke actually is but here's an interesting thing about this by taking on the yoke of jesus you no longer feel burdened instead you feel rest for your soul It is a burden you carry that actually brings you rest well how does that happen because we still don't like the terminology of being burdened well it's pretty simple why was jesus here in the first place what does the gospel message say again for what seems like the umpteenth time from john chapter 3 verses 16 through 17 for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why is Jesus here? He is here to save the world. Jesus has come to the world to bring rest to all of those who whom are burdened by the weight of their sin, which is to say, everyone. Jesus has come to save the world, to remove the threat of condemnation, to remove the threat of death, that everyone who believes in him will be saved. So, by taking on the yoke of Jesus, You are not enslaving yourself. You are setting yourself free from the burden of your sin and the condemnation that comes from it. And this, church, is what brings you peace and rest. Knowing that no matter what is going on, that God is redeeming you through his son, Jesus. But yes... We are taking on the yoke of Jesus. But here's something interesting. A yoke could be used to tie one animal to the plow. But it was most often used to tie two animals to the plow. That way the burden was not on one animal to do all of the work, but on both of them to share in the work. So what Jesus is talking about here is not a simple transference of burden as if you were taking on his burden for him. Listen, we cannot carry the burden of Jesus Christ, who saved the world through his death. Instead, Jesus is inviting us to tie ourselves to him, so that we might pull the plow together in the direction of the Father. And so you unload from yourself the burden of sin and death that you are carrying and you pick up one end of the yoke of Jesus and from there you carry it together. You go where he goes. You do what he does. You pull the father's plow and stir up the soil of the kingdom. So where does this leave us? Well, people are not going to choose To carry this yoke of Jesus if they don't realize how heavy their own burden is. But Jesus knows the difference between what he is offering you and what you are already carrying. Whether you see it or not. And Jesus offers an invitation that all may come who are hurt and who know their need to be unburdened and by tying themselves to Jesus and carrying his yoke they may gain life and what you gain is far greater than what you think you have to give up because that life that Jesus offers is not just life here it is life beyond here And when I am tired and weary and worn out from this world and all that is happening in this place, all that seems beyond my control, my body sometimes failing, my mind tired, my heart weary. The yoke of Jesus reminds me that my life is not defined by this place. And that though the tired and the weariness that I feel may seem so real now, that I have hope. For God is with me. And God can restore all that is broken in me and around me. And that God will never leave me. And he invites me to live in the truth and knowledge of his kingdom. For the one thing that this world and all of its struggles cannot take away from me is the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. His burden is light. It's light because it overcomes and brings life. And in those moments where I am so troubled and so weary and I want things to be different or I struggle with why they're not, I am reminded that my life is not here, that I am tied to Jesus Christ. And that knowledge that one day all will be restored and made new, that one day my real life will begin, gives me the one thing that nothing in this place can take away from me. It gives me hope. Not a temporary, fake hope, but a lasting hope. An eternal hope. For our God is the overcomer. The one who delivers us from this world. Come, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you for being here with us today. I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. Continue to check out our Facebook or YouTube page for new videos and information about what's going on in our church. And I hope that you feel the presence of God in your life this week and that you can feel the rest that comes from being tied to Jesus Christ.